0: Quarantine Spook Show. I'm Kyle Karezi. This is the spookiest show you'll find around. With the exception of the news. If, uh, the news is still a thing, with the exception of uh, social media documentarians. See, it's already spooky. Horror Stories Every title is unseen by me And if you want to submit a title You can email quarantinespookshow At gmail.com Or follow us on twitter At quarantinespook for updates now I'm going to pull the first story And get right into it This first story is called How low can you go? But Theo called it an adventure. On the outskirts of town in the desert was a grand opening. It was a pit that you couldn't see from the top. In between some mountains and plateaus. For professional hikers and uh, mountain climbers around the world, but to the people in the region it might as well have been folklore. Now Theo saw this as a challenge to himself. Instagram stories about people going down to the mouth of hell. But the video would always cut off once they got deep enough. And this in the historical archives of the region. And no footage that exists of the bottom of this mouth of hell, which heightened the lore that it truly was the mouth to hell. And anyone who does go deep enough can see it for themselves. Turned twenty two, he deemed himself ready to enter the mouth of hell. his friends. Patricia and Monica and Daniel. It was a bit of a graduation, a college graduation celebration in some ways. But it was Theo's secret desire. He's already been mountain climbing for several years and rock climbing and all that jazz. So he had all the gear ready, his friends saw it more of us as a fun excavation, but he saw it as his destiny. started to embark down the mouth. You can get down to it just by walking at first, but then it gets more hazardous and you need more of a secure alignment to continue downward. And then it got to the point where you couldn't walk anymore, because the spiraling trail that would go down would eventually end. Pick a line against the wall and just descend, and they had their flashlights with them had his Instagram uh, live already. He started to post videos online as he went down. And then it got to the point where the signal cut off. And he thought, oh, that must be why people can post their Instagram stories from beneath the hole, because there's no signal. bottom of the mouth. They could see the opening to the sky clear above them. And then Daniel just said, alright, shit, we did it. And then Patricia said, yeah, yeah, I can't believe we finally made it. After all these years, living by it, you know? But Theo wasn't quite satisfied. He felt that there was more to this, you know? To him, this depth felt shallow, and he wanted to go deeper. So, as he walked around the uh, bottom with his flashlight, he saw there was another opening, a cavern that went down. So he said to the others, like, hey, there's more mouth down here. Do you want to check it out? And everyone else was kind of, uh. They were hesitant at first. They were just like, oh, I don't know. It's, uh. We already made it down to the mouth, you know. I don't think that opening really counts as, uh. the devil's mouth. And Theo said it's the mouth to hell. And then Monica said, "Well, either way, you know. I think this is as far as as far as I'm willing to go personally. I can say I've been to the mouth and back, you know. Doesn't mean I want to go down to the gullet." Patricia thought about it, and she said, yeah, yeah, you know what, I'll come with you for a little bit, you know, if it gets too dicey, then I want to turn back. And Daniel and Monica uh, decided not to follow them down deeper into the mouth, into the gullet, to hell. But they said that they would wait at the uh, opening so that they could all go back to the surface together. took longer than Theo expected. They had to crouch down throughout the whole time, going down the cavern's pass. And his back was straining straining him, staying hunched over for so long. feel more of the blisters on his feet. The light from his flashlight was dimming. He thought about using his phone, but he wanted to preserve the battery on that. Not that it would be much use anyway in an emergency at this point. still wanted to have it close at hand, in case anything happened. At one point, Patricia said, uh, Theo, let's uh, turn back, I think I'm, uh, I'm getting really tired, and it's gonna be a pain in the ass to make it back this distance, you know. get some extravagant meal afterwards like uh, noodles or sushi or what have you And then Theo said, "No, no, no, I want to keep going." And then Patricia said, "Well, I mean, how much, you know, the day's almost out. Like how much longer do you think you're going to go for?" And then Theo said, "Well, I'll camp if I have to." Patricia said, "For Patricia said, you don't even have any gear with you, you're just gonna be like slipping on rocks, do you even have enough to eat? And Theo said, well I have my granola and Patricia said, oh sorry, your granola you know, what a saving grace, what salvation seriously let's head back together well, you know what, you can just go head back by yourself. In fact, you can all leave the devil's mouth. I'm going to keep going. I'll let you know when this journey ends so you know that I'm not dead. And the seriousness in his tone really disturbed Patricia. And then Patricia said, well, I don't want you dead, so I'm going to join you on this wild journey. Eventually, Theo slips. And then he falls into... It feels like that he falls off a cliff, but it's just a very high ledge. The bottom of which leads to the rest of the cavern. And Patricia says, Oh shit, Theo, you alright? And Theo said, Yeah, I think so. I kind of... My ankle kind of hurts, but otherwise I'm fine. And then Patricia says, "Oh, we well, you gotta, you gotta get back up so we can head back. I mean, it's definitely at the, we're at the threshold of no return right here." And Theo said, "No, no, no, I'll just keep going." I don't want to leave, but, Theo, you gotta think rationally, I mean, how much further can you go down this hole? And then Theo, thinking about his childhood romanticization of the devil's mouth, and now as an adult, he was not only down towards the mouth, but down its throat, and heading to its stomach. I said I'll go as far as it takes, and it broke Patricia's heart that Theo would go on such an endeavor down to this seemingly bottomless pit. She, went, she climbed down the little cliff and then joined him for the rest of the journey. And Theo was able to walk down uh, further down this cavern. Patr- Patricia saw that Theo was in pain. And she said, hey, you can lean on me for the rest of this, you know. I know you're pretty tired. And your ankle's all sore and all that. And Theo said, no, no, I can make it on my own. Thank you, though definitely hurt her to watch him limp. Felt like the tunnel would never end. They enter an opening. And it almost looks like an oasis. Definitely a deposit of uh, water. And then Theo said, Oh, water, yes thinking he just goes down and he starts to drink it and then Patricia says what are you doing this is cave water it has rock sediment and all that you know it's not good for you you don't know what that's gonna do to your body for the rest of this journey I just wasn't, you know, I wasn't really thinking, you know? And then Patricia said, Theo, you gotta learn how to take care of yourself, you know? Like, I get the hunger to explore the unknown. But you need to, like, rest up a bit. You need to be more strategic about this. You can't be this reckless for doing something this dangerous. And then Theo said, alright, alright. So they rest for about an hour, and then Patricia says, I don't know if we have much of a choice at this point, we're going to have to like try to camp here, or try to take like a nap or something, then maybe like head back in the morning. And Theo said, no, no, I got to keep going, there's still more cavern to be explored. And then Patricia said, well, Theo, you know, we found this beautiful, beautiful oasis, you know, surely that's enough, you know. sure a lot of explorers that came by didn't see this, you know, we can show other people, you know, we can add it to the historical archives in the library, you know, maybe we can. I can take some pictures on my phone and we can send them to people, we can, we can post them on our Instagrams or whatever, you know, this is definitely a feat, you know, we should rest and then head back when we wake up. For a long haul. We gotta. After we wake up, we gotta keep pressing on, you know. So they eventually slept and they woke up. Patricia uh, opened her eyes She saw Theo already packing And already heading to the cavern opening He was going to leave without her And then Patricia said Theo what are you doing? And he doesn't listen and just keeps heading down the cavern So she quickly packs And then starts to follow him down She already lost sight of Theo, but she was walking down the cavern through the only opening that could be followed. She was sure if she walked long enough she would eventually catch up, and it's true there is a part of Patricia who wanted to see what was at the end of this cavern. Her main need was to save Theo from himself, for him being too reckless or destructive, and then destroying himself in the process. So she pressed on, the cavern started to change a little bit. written patterns on the walls, a scripture she couldn't decipher. she finds another opening much grander than the oasis that her and uh that her and Theo found it was so large that it barely looked like it was indoors you know it almost looked like like a swamp you know there was a lot of uh, liquid to step in From ankle to knee high, there were some underground trees, moss was growing on the cavern walls. walks around this beautiful landscape and calls out to Theo over and over again she was projecting her voice as loud as she could eventually she finds him crouched down in the swamp next to what looked like a dead body Crouching down, holding a phone, trying to turn it on. And then Patricia said, Theo, what the hell are you doing? We gotta get out of here. And Theo said, I follow this guy on Instagram. I recognize his hat. It's a vintage Captain Planet hat. Kind of word in a way, it's just like, yeah, I'm down for the planet and all, but also, uh you know, adhering to his uh, childhood nostalgia, you know. Eventually, he turns on his phone. She leans down and goes through his pockets and finds a little notebook. It was like a little mini diary, a pocket sized one. And she goes to the last entry of the notebook. I finally made it here I don't know if anyone will read this before I'm digested snowbook survives. Turn back now we we'll press on. If you consider the human body, if this truly is the belly of some ancient beast, it'd probably be faster to press forward than it would be to go back, right? A bit, and then she said, Well, you know what? No, no, I'm gonna. You know what? You go ahead first. And around the swamp trying to find another opening of some sort. They find some little geysers here and there but no openings that lead anywhere. try to persuade you, and I'm going to head back, and I want you to join me because I don't want you to die. And Theo said, but wait a minute, if this really is the belly of some ancient beast, then these geysers might be opening to an intestine system or something, we can crawl in there. try to like actually dig in there. It's really hot. You can burn yourself. You won't live through it. Theo just shrugged and said, well, I just, I got to find out anyway. So without giving her any warning, Theo sees the geyser and then tries to bellow himself in. erupts and he burns himself. And he tries to cool himself off with the swamp water, but that only makes it burns more. says, Theo, if this is the belly of an ancient beast, if you move forward, you will be digested. I'm taking you with me whether you like it or not. a granola bar, and then lifts him up and carries him. She has to take a lot of breaks, and she has to rest a lot. She definitely has to to camp multiple times. On her way back, going past the oasis, going back up that cliff that they fell off. Doesn't know how many days pass, or how much how much weight she's lost on her journey back. And eventually, she does return. And upon her return, it's daylight. Monica and Daniel there as well as some park rangers and a rescue team gearing up to enter the cavern. says, oh, thank God you're alive. We had to get a team together to come and rescue you, you know? And one of the rangers said, yeah, we're literally right about to embark, and then you guys just emerge, you know? You've never known anyone that's actually lived through going down that cavern. And then Daniel said, oh, did you do like a Dante's Inferno thing, you know, coming out and lighting from the other end? And then Patricia said, no, not quite. I think I'm gonna be as as enlightened as I'm going to be with a journey like that. I don't know about Theo though. And then she sets Theo down. And he's already deceased. His heart stopped midway through the journey. And Patricia tried to do what she could, but she couldn't save him. sight of the cavern in the devil's mouth and the devil's gullet, she was too uh, stricken and disappointed by Theo's death and feeling regret herself for not being able to do anything. But within that grief, she remembered the beautiful sights inside the gullet, I remember that uh, Theo mentioned that he took a lot of pictures and video as they were traversing the cavern and the swamp and all that, and the oasis. So she takes his phone to see the pictures for herself, but she doesn't know the password. This next story is called Dungeons and Dolphins. Andre was totally stoked to play Dungeons and Dragons at his neighbor's house. At the ripe age of 17, he's never played the game before, but was was ecstatic about playing it for the first time with his neighbor and his friends. know this group very well, but him and his neighbor had a chemistry class together and they would just like chat about things, Uh, the state of the earth, philosophy, beavis and butthead, you know, all the ripe, important matters that teenagers discuss. And, Dragons. and then Andre said, no, no, I never had. And then his neighbor, his name was Harold, said, well, we should, you know, come by sometime, you know, we're having a game this Saturday, actually, you know. And Andre said, oh, cool, cool, but, uh, I don't know how to play, though, or anything. And then Harold said, no, no, that's fine, just, you know, come by with your wits and we'll just, like, walk you through it, you know. Cool, cool. So then Saturday came and Andre found himself at Harold's door. You know, he knocked on it, waiting for an answer. And then Harold's mother opened it and she said, "Oh yeah, you're Andre. Okay, cool. Yeah, they're in the uh, they're in the basement. You know, it's getting uh, set up for the game." said, yeah, cool, yeah. So it goes down the stairs, and then everyone's all like, hey, Andre, even though he never met anyone there besides Harold. And Andre says, alright, this is Steve, and this is Stan. And then Andre says, hey, I'm Andre. Stan says, hey, I'm Stan. Steve says, hey, I'm Steve. Are chatting about things, you know, the state of the world, philosophy, all that jazz, as they're setting up the game. And then Harold's, you know, he's setting up and he's just like, alright, pretty stoked for this particular game. And then Andre said, oh yeah, I've never played Dungeons and Dragons before. And then uh, Harold said, Dungeons and Dragons, oh no, oh. No, we're going to be playing a different version tonight. I thought I uh, explained it earlier. No. This version's called Dungeons & Dolphins. And then Andre said, oh, Dungeons & Dolphins? I've never heard of that game. Steve said, uh, the rules are practically the same, you know, you'll get the hang of it very quickly. And then Andre said, well, alright. So it starts off, you know, like a usual game would. You know, they had their character sheets and they were pretty much ready to go. And it started off in the ocean on a little island. Then once the campaign started, you know, Stan, Steve, and Harold started making uh, dolphin noises, dolphin impressions, and whatnot. Like they were speaking dolphin to one another. And then Andre's trying to keep up where the uh, campaign goes, and he's just like, "Wait, wait, stop! Sorry, I'm not, I'm not uh, getting it." And Harold's just like, "Oh, what's up?" Andre just says, "Well, you're you're all making like a you know dolphin noises at each other, you know." And then Stan's like, "Yeah, yeah, we are." And Andre said, "Well, one, I can't do a dolphin noise myself. And two, you know, how do you how do you understand each other when you make those dolphin impressions?" Said, oh, it's just how the game is played. You know, once you get used to the game, you get the, get you get used to the language of dolphins. And Andre says, all right, um, yeah, I've never, I don't know, well, how about you try doing a dolphin impression? Said Steve. And Andre said, oh, well, no, I don't, uh, I don't know if I want to do that. You know, not really good at impressions. Period. And Harold said, "Oh, come on, just give it a try." And then Andre's just like, "All right, okay, eh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was okay, good for a first try." Um, you know, how about be the, you can be the dolphin that uh, you know, doesn't really say anything, you know, and still, you know, what if you just say things in English, we'll uh, we'll just guide you through it. How about that? And Andre said, "Yeah, sure, sure. I guess so." So the game goes on. Uh, everyone's speaking dolphin. Andre doesn't quite get the rules. He just kind of tries to, like, you know, go along with the game as best he can. You know, sometimes the dolphin would ask dolphin people would ask him questions. And Andre, you know, based on the tone of the question, he'd either say yes or no, I don't know, you know. Yeah, whatever floats your boat, sure, no pun intended. That didn't make any of the dolphins laugh. And mentally, Andre was referring to them as dolphins, even though that they were human, but they were just so convincing with their dolphin noises. still doesn't quite know what's happening in the campaign but Stan turns to him and asks him a question in a dolphin sound now the other dolphins are trying to like egg him on like oh yes you should say yes to, yes to this question based on the tonality of the uh, dolphin impressions through the body language and all that and all the ways you can uh, communicate without language and then Andre said uh yeah sure I guess the other kids make a bunch of excited dolphin noises. And then Harold takes out a dagger. And then Andre says, you know, makes more dolphin noises. Not, not Andre. Andre says, oh, what the hell is that? And then Harold responds, and dolphin noises. Stan and Steve, uh, they both nod, also with dolphin noises, nagging them on, and then Harold starts to wave it in front of Andre, and Andre stands up and backs against the wall, and he says, whoa, whoa, I didn't sign up for this, and then Harold stops and says, oh, Andre, what's going on? And Andre said, I don't, what are you, you, why, why are you waving that knife at me? And Harold says, oh, well, this is just part of the game, you know, we had to, for the campaign, we had to make a blood sacrifice, and you volunteered to do it, so we're going to cut you a little bit, and then it's going to be incorporated to the game. And then Andre said, no, 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 I don't want to be uh, cut in that way. And Harold said, well, like, in the campaign, you can send it to it, you know, I mean, you can back out now, but it wouldn't really make you a team player. And then Andre said, well, you know, I didn't know we had to, like, speak Dolphin, you know, for this game. And then Stan just said, oh, you should have done your research then. And then Harold's just like, alright, take it easy. Look, if you don't want to get cut uh, for the sacrifice, that's fine. But it's really going to stifle the game. It's going to make the rest of the game a huge pain in the ass, you know. It's really a lot of great power-ups up, power that really moves the plot along. So just come on, take one for the team. And Andre said, all right, fine, fine. So they light some candles and uh, commence the ceremony and all that. And Harold lightly jabs, uh, Harold's hand. Lightly jabs Andre's hand and uh, drips the blood into a little vial and then seals it with a cork. For the next leg of the campaign. Then everyone starts to pack the game up and starts to, you know, pack up and whatnot. And then Andre said, Wait, where are we going? And then Harold responds to him a Dolphin And Andre said, Can you just tell me where we're going in English? And Harold said, Oh, well, we're, I mean, where do you think? We're going to SeaWorld. And Andre's just like, Why are we going to SeaWorld? Said, well, it's just it's part of the game, you know. Yeah, the best way to play Dungeons and Dolphins is with real Fide dolphins. And Andre's just like, I don't, uh, I don't know about this one, you know. the game, you know, you set your night aside to play it anyway. I got a car, we'll just head over there, it won't be any big thing. And then Andre's just like, alright, fuck it. And the car ride was more awkward than the game itself. Everyone in the car was speaking dolphin to each other, except for Andre. And it's, needless to say, he had no idea what the fuck was going on. out on all this dolphin-speak, he's completely lost sight of the lines between reality and the D&D campaign. Eventually they arrive at SeaWorld. of the dolphin tank, where three dolphins are swimming around. So then Harold makes a dolphin noise, and then everyone else sits down and starts setting up the board again. Andre uh, reluctantly sits down with them. But then they add more things. You know, they have a cloth. They have candles. Some markers where they can uh, write little insignias uh, around the pavement. So eventually they get back into the game, you know what it seemed like to Andre at least because they are rolling dice and checking their character sheets and things, things, like, things like that and then Harold eventually stands up and he starts chanting in Dolphin Steve and Stan join him Andre just watches not quite knowing what the fuck's going on and then they summon goes. Uh, goes then, uh, as they're chanting, the dolphins uh, from the tank start to swim towards them, and they're like spectating the chanting. And then Harold takes the vial of Andre's blood. Crazy. To thicken coincidentally, the wind picks up. And then Andre's just like, oh, what the hell's going on? And then Harold, Stan, and Steve are they're all shouting, initiation, initiation. But they're still speaking dolphin, but Andre can understand them. back we have to finish the ceremony or it won't be complete and andre just says i don't care and harold says no you don't understand if you don't finish the ceremony and then but then andre left too far away to finish the rest of what he was going to say so eventually andre is outside of sea world you know doesn't know what to do, doesn't know where to go, he assumes the next best bet is to try to get a ride back to his house or something, and forget this weird, awkward night. So then he uh, calls his mom on his phone, and he's just all like, Mom, can you pick me up at SeaWorld? It's a long story, I, I know I'm in trouble or whatever, but, uh, you know, just he could just like pick me up and take me home or like send dad or something and then his mom says who is Who is this and Andre's just like oh it's Andre you know caller ID and all that and it's just like I don't know who you are making this uh I don't know why you have my son's phone making all these dolphin noises but if you t- Andre this is you stop fooling around come on He's just like, no, mom, it's me. I'm not making dolphin noises. And eventually his phone dies, so he can't finish the conversation. So then he goes uh, to a nearby gas station, you know, maybe trying to, maybe he can find like a bus schedule or uh, some sort of like a Uber pickup thing from there or something. Like in are trying to get the gas station attendant to call Uber or something, any number of uh, things. But he tried to go to the gas station so that something, so that he can get away back. Goes to the gas station attendant and he says, like, Hey, can I, uh, can you call like an Uber for me or something? Or can I at least do like a bus schedule or something? And the gas station attendant just looks at him, not knowing what he's talking about. Keeps trying to speak to him, but the gas station attendant is just like, "Listen, I don't, I'm not into all these like dolphin impressions or whatever, you know. If you're one of those dolphin fanatics that does all that weird culty shit, you know, at Sea World after hours, I'm not into it. So just please leave, you know." So then Andre was. It occurred to him that he could only speak dolphin. He couldn't speak human at all. Maybe that's what Harold was trying to say before he left, that he would be stuck speaking dolphin unless he continued on with the ceremony and the campaign. He uh, returns to SeaWorld past the opening in the fence. Goes to the dolphin pool, and everyone's still there continuing the campaign. And then Harold says, Oh, Andre, there's still time to, uh, you know, finish the initiation in the campaign. And then Andre's just like, Yeah, let's finish the initiation. So then. Harold and Steven Stan commence more dolphin chanting. The dolphins continue to freak out, and then Harold's just like, all right, now you can walk among the worlds of both human and dolphin, and Andre's just like, fuck, uh, great, I guess, you know. So then they play the rest of that tabletop game till dawn. As much as Andre didn't want to admit it, it was the best gaming experience of his life. Alright, this next story is called... I feel like I'm gonna die. was wallowing in pain at the hospital and he shouts at the top of his lungs "Ah, I feel like I'm gonna die That she can find And she says Hey my boyfriend feels like he's gonna die and You're not doing anything And the doctor looks at her puzzled And he says Oh are you uh, talking about Clarence And she says yes yes Clarence feels like he's gonna die Aren't you gonna do any treatments Or try to diagnose him with something And Clarence looks into the hospital room the doctor. And the doctor slowly closes the door so that he and Brittany can speak in the hallway with some privacy. And the doctor says, uh, what was your name? It's Brittany. Brittany. Okay, Brittany. How long have you known Clarence? And then Brittany says, well, you know, we've Dating for about five months, you know. he says, okay, okay. Is this the first time he said that he feels like he's going to die? And then she said, no, no, well, he says it a lot. He tends to get sick often, you know. But today it seems really bad. And the doctor says, okay, well, Clarence has been an on-and-off patient of mine for maybe 10 to 12 years at this point. And I'm here to say that Clarence feels like he's gonna die a lot. Usually the guilty term for this would be a hypochondriac. But that doesn't quite apply to Clarence's case. So usually hypochondriacs think they have like an illness, you know, if they have a fever, they think it's worse than it is. You know, if they get a cough, you know, they think it's worse. They often always think that they have cancer or something because they feel icky in a certain way, and that leads them to believe that it's a symptom for something far worse. But in the case with Clarence, he just always feels like he's gonna die, you know. There's this one joke that floats around from a TV show, perhaps in the 90's, where there's an imminent death syndrome, or, scratch that, he, he thinks he's going to die at any moment, but you can't really treat that, really, unless you do it psychologically, but Clarence has repeat- repeatedly refused to do that. Idea of him feeling like he's gonna die, you know it's nothing new. Brittany says, Okay, well I guess, you know, being his girlfriend at all, you know, what can I do about it? And the doctor shrugged and says, Well if he always feels like he's gonna die, presumably you'd want him to feel like he's not going to And I would use whatever whatever means you have in your disposal. So Clarence doesn't feel like he's going to die. But after treating him for so many years, and his family... I would assure you to uh, get used to Clarence feeling like he's going to die. And then Bernie says, okay, alright, I'll see what I can do on that front. Eventually uh, Clarence was relieved from the hospital because the doctors couldn't diagnose him with anything. up again Clarence shouting, ah, I feel like I'm gonna die. And then Brittany comes in and says, Clarence, you're not gonna die, you know. Clarence says, yeah, I can get stung by a bee, I can get hit by a car, you know, any number of things. I just don't know how I'm gonna die, but I feel like I'm gonna die. You know, I mean, we're all gonna die at some point, and Clarence shouts like, yeah, you see? But he said, no, no, that's not what I meant, you know, just, yes, we're all gonna die. I think everyone technically feels like they're gonna die at any moment, because everyone's going to. Maybe, uh, you know, relax about it a bit, you know, smell the roses. Unless something is imminent, then, you know, maybe don't worry about it as much. But then Clarence says no, but it is imminent. I feel like I'm gonna die. So Brittany says, "All right, do you want to go to the hospital again so they can uh, treat you in some way? Maybe a psych, maybe a, you know, maybe a psychologist or a therapist or something." And then Clarence says, "No, no, that won't help it out uh, at all." Because I feel like I'm gonna die, and then Brittany said, "Okay, all right." So they go on dating for, and then the next the next few months they're dating some more. They do outings. Maybe Brittany didn't see it before, but I guess when they were first dating, Clarence surely must have felt like he was gonna die at any moment. But maybe he tamped it down to some capacity guys they got to know each other, you know, as Clarence became more open with his emotions and whatnot. He was uh, more vocal about him feeling like he's going to die. And they're at a farmer's market, and Brittany's having some cotton candy, and Clarence is having some popcorn. Clarence says, Haha, oh, I feel like I'm going to die. And Brittany says, yeah, yeah, I know. very major strain in their relationship, because Clarence can't quite get a grip on his emotions and all of that, and that really weighs down on Brittany, reasonably, because the big thing is Clarence doesn't have any immediate threats in his life that can take him at any moment. It's just his own paranoia and hysteria doing the talking. having a barbecue and they were saying goodbye to some guests but there's still plenty of people like out in the yard Oh, you know, I can always get that whiskey. I can just go across the street and get it, you know. And then Brittany, feeling fed up with the relationship and hourly, says, Oh, I hope you don't die while getting it. And Clarence is just like, whatever, Brittany. And all the guests can tell, you know, that there's still a lot of strain in their relationship and all that jazz. So eventually Clarence leaves and everyone in the backyard hears a screech and then a loud bump from the front of the house. So everyone rushes over to the front yard, and then Clarence is uh, underneath the car, though speeding down the street. He's near the back tire, and who was driving the car steps out. He says, "Oh shit, I didn't see him." And then one of the party guests is just like, well, "Who speeds down a residential neighborhood like that?" Oh my god, Clarence, are you okay? And then Clarence gives out a really loud groan. And he's just like, oh yeah, yeah, I'm fine. So eventually he gets out from underneath the car and he tries to stand up, but then he falls flat on his face again. My God, you have a bone sticking out. And then Clarence says, "No, no, I'm fine though. I'm fine." Bernie says, "Clarence, you might die from this if you don't get immediate, like, immediate hospital care." And then Clarence is just like, "No, no, I got, it. I can, uh, I can just walk it off." And then Bernie says, "Clarence, you have a bone sticking out. Most, most of your bones look broken. You probably have internal, internal bleeding too." We have to take you to a hospital right now. And then Clarence is like, no, 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 I'm fine. I, I got this. I've, I've never, honestly, I've never felt better. And then Bruni says, are you shitting me? You feel like you're dying all the time, but the one time you might actually be dying, you just feel peachy keen. And then Clarence is just like, Ah, oh, yeah, you know, I don't know what it is, you know. Maybe a near-death experience really did do the trick. And then Bernie said, this is a... This might be an actual death experience. Like, let me, let us take care of you. Take you to the hospital. And Clarence says, "No, no, I'm fine. I'll just, uh, you know, I just, I gotta get the whiskey, you know." So then he's continuing down the street. Everyone's trying to stop him, but he's leaving a trail of blood, you know, past him. Yeah, we're working on it. And then Clarence is just like, nah, I just wanna just one whiskey, please. And then he pulls out a bloody 20 and a bloody ten. And then Brittany just says, you know, Clarence, you cannot keep pressing on like this. If you do, you're you will die, you know. It's absurd that you don't feel like you're gonna die right now, because you totally totally might happen in this case. Clarence is like, no, no, I'm good, I'm good. sort of, uh, long-term side effects of severe physical trauma like that. So after it's been a week since all the casts have been let off and stuff, Bernie's just like, oh, yeah, well, at this point, you're pretty much fully healed, healed, you know. Must feel be feeling pretty great about it. How do you feel? And then Clarence, uh, Eating some cereal and taking the spoon and mixing the grains around in the milk. He just says, huh? You know. I think now more than ever, I feel like I'm gonna die. like she was gonna die i'm kyle carezzi and this has been quarantine spook show